And then let's get live. Yes, yeah, I see it's recording. Can I minimize while nice. you're recording? Nice. Screw you. Okay, now, but you got to let me go live. So we're going to go live. Let's see. Add title. Sure. Go live anyway. I'll tell you when we're live. We're going to be live soon. We're live oh. now. Are we live now? Oh, snap. Oh, snap. This is so fresh. And listen, um, done re redirecting to Facebook. Oh, yeah. And I got to try and do a little bit of promo on the Facebook page, too. I'm right. Are we live for sure? It says it on my screen. Okay. People are watching. Okay. It's now streaming live on, uh, on Facebook. Okay. Perfect. What I'm going to do is just make sure on my Facebook, on my phone, number one, I got to just plug it, send it off to all our Facebook people. Right. Um, Simon, I see you got your microphone there. What are you drinking? Just a little bit of vodka, you know? And with the frog microphone. Let's see this. Join this event. No, that's not what I want to do. Sorry, people. We're almost there. The hardest part about being on this is not, uh, not just not touching your nose. My nose is the right? thing right now. <laughs> if an ID doc touches his nose on, on, a, on a Facebook Live thing, it just doesn't look good, you know? Oh, my Fair goodness. Enough. I... I <laughs> I was, uh, I, I did one of the promo videos, right? I think it was for your show, actually. And they were, they were like, you touched your face 56 times. It was oh, Everyone calm down, eh? Oh. Like, holy moly. Yeah, oh, we're man. human. Exactly. Like, it's, uh, it's, um, it gets out of control quick. Yeah, um, it's like the face touching police. <laughs> exactly. All right, no, yeah, we are live. Yeah. yeah, all right, I see people coming in. Oh yeah, this is gonna be fresh. Okay, now I'm happy that we are in the mix. We are in the mix. All right. I'm excited. Okay, all right. So, I don't even know where to begin. Let's see, let's see, let's see. So. Welcome, everybody. This is our second ever live cast, and we got some big wigs in the mix. Again, we're doing it again on the Quadcast, Quadcast Nation. I'm loving it. Um, but before introducing our, our, our guests, I just want to tell you a couple things. Um, number one, I want to quickly, not to be a little bit Debbie Downer, but um, I just want to thank a lot of people that uh, sent messages out after... My, that article that was published yesterday with um, CBC about, you know, my personal race uh, experience with racism and in, in life and in medicine. And I was extremely overwhelmed with the messages that I was receiving in the last 24 hours. I want to tell you, it, uh, it really meant a lot um, knowing that so many people cared and, and saw the value of that. So I just want to take a second and thank all of you guys. Um, I also want to thank Julia Hajar, who's taking time of her uh, busy evening, who's uh, our head of social media and has a new website, A Spoonful of Science. 
because she throws down science, like nutrition knowledge all over the place. So Julia, thank you for setting that up and, and everyone check out that website. It's wonderful. Another shout out to Kim Sutton. She's setting up our new website, solvinghealthcare.ca. You can see the nuts and the bolts of that right now, um, but uh, it'll probably be full, in full effect in a couple of weeks. So thank you, Kim. If you like her services, there'll be links to her, uh, to her uh, services uh, in the show notes and in the comments section. Next, I want to thank our official sponsor, the Better Together Project put on by Haley Harluck. This is a wonderful initiative. She um, basically got together the spouses of, of physicians just because of the struggles, not only through COVID-19, but also beforehand. But this really took off when uh, COVID-19 hit. And um, now they're having a live virtual event on the 9th of July. Um, if you use promo code solving healthcare, you'll get 10% off signup fees. And um, I just want to give, yeah, mad love to Haley because it's, it's amazing what you're doing. We're doing an interview with you at the end of the month. And my wife is going to be, uh, Kathy will be showing up at the conference on July 9th. So I uh, just want to thank you for that. For those that are just uh, coming in, if you want any of our, the audio or the video or the show notes to this episode, just type in ID into the, the chat box or to the comment section and you'll get, uh, we'll email that to you in the next day or two. I think that is set up. Actually, I'm not even sure that's set up, but uh, you'll find out soon if you get prompted. Um, the other one we have is if you type in news, you'll get, um, you'll sign up for our newsletter, which is amazing. Our, our team put together some beautiful stuff. You're going to get uh, what's upcoming on our show, some um, unpublished material. Uh, so yeah, uh, sign up there. Um, merchandise. So as you know, like, hold on, check out this. I'm, I'm going to do my Vanna White or Vanna Black right now. Da, da, da. <laughs> How do I get one of those? Yes, yeah, yes, one. that's a great question, guys. So, um, yeah, so uh, you'll see the um, links to our store. And remember, all our Profits go to local charities, and this month we're going to Bridges Over Barriers, which is our um, our local charity that goes to kids needing for their basic needs. So, like shoes, clothing, um, whatever they need to get by. And this has been a huge hit during COVID because the needs have been massive. So, um, yeah, support the show and support uh, Bridges Over Barrier, and last almost lastly free merchandise guys if you guys put in um if you i forgot how to do this you you post a rating or um not a rating what's the thing you call it uh comments and a rating um you'll get a, a five-time entry into the draw to win uh some of our merchandise and Peggy, I hope you're listening. Peggy Talon, you're the winner for May. You're going to get whatever you want. I'm not sure what we... Go. Yeah, she's, and she's a, a true uh, baller. She's been a huge advocate, actually, for the Black Lives Matter. And uh, I can think of a better person to, to win that award. So thank you so much. And guys, wherever, new listeners, because there's going to be some, subscribe to this bad boy, man. We're changing the boogie. You're about to witness some knowledge being thrown down by... These two wonderful 
infectious disease docs. I'm going to start with Dr. Isaac Bogosh, ID trained, obviously, and and also Harvard trained. Where's that? (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God. That's only the second person from Harvard that has entered the show. You're going to, you would have seen him on CBC, um, City News, uh, works at Toronto General, and it is a pleasure to have you, Isaac. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me on. I've been really excited about this all week. Oh, me too. Thank you so much. And Suman, I mean, do, do we need it? Do we need an intro? This is his third time on the the, the show, Doctor Suman Chakrabarty, Trillium. Of course, man. You've seen him on the. <laughs> Yes. Time. Yes. yes. Holy. The trifecta. Um, and the hat trick. The hat trick. Absolutely. Um, more McDavid than, um, than Matthews, though. Um, seen him on CTV News. As I said, he's been, this is his third time on the show. Full of knowledge, Sumar Chakrabarty. Welcome back. Great to be here. Thanks so much for having me. Absolutely. Guys, you know what? We're going to have a good time. I'm sorry. There's been so much BS in the, in the world these days. COVID, freaking uh, all the, uh, the violence and the racist stuff that we're seeing. Let's just, I know we're, it's a serious topic, but um, let's have a good time here. Um, yeah. Absolutely. So, Isaac, maybe we'll start with you. I'm, where do we start? So, the H, uh, WHO has given us a few statements now in terms of, asymptomatic spreaders saying, hey, maybe these guys aren't as, um, haven't been such a big um, proponent to spreading the coronavirus or COVID-19. What's your opinion on this, either from the statement or from what you've seen as uh, an ID doc? Yeah, so let's start with the statement. I mean, what a mess, right? (laughs) They start a couple days ago, they say, hey, oh, by the way, you know, asymptomatic people don't really spread the infection. And then, of course, those of us who follow this were saying, uh, excuse me, uh, that doesn't sound so accurate. So the next day, which is yesterday, they're like, oh, just kidding, just kidding. They do. <laughs> and, you know, I appreciate that, like, everyone's entitled to make mistakes. We all make mistakes. We all make mistakes. I'm looking at you, Dr. Chakrabarty. <laughs> <laughs> what do you mean? We all make mistakes. Uh, and, and that's fine, but I mean, they've got to get it right. I mean, in all fairness, in all seriousness, you got to get something like that right. Um, and it's important, you know, there's a lot of credibility issues, especially with this, with this uh, pandemic, there's a lot of politicization, politicization, uh, and it's a problem. And, uh, the WHO needs all the credibility they need. So that was a mistake. Okay. Mistakes happen. I wish their clarification was a little bit better. Unfortunately, it was not the most clear uh, message when they yesterday when they tried to sort of uh, uh, fix their their public relations gap mm. but uh, in all fairness like when we actually look at the data you know this has been screwed up from the very beginning and you know three of us here are physicians right yeah. so you know we speak a language and when we say the word asymptomatic it means something to us it means there's no symptoms Quampy mm. now that's it you have no symptoms And when we're talking about asymptomatic spread, we really should talk about people who have no symptoms. And we mean no symptoms throughout the time they get the virus to the time they no longer have the virus. Mm. That's what I mean by asymptomatic. Now, there's another term, pre-symptomatic, which means people have no symptoms for the first couple of days. They get the infection, they have no symptoms, they're able to transmit it. They have the virus, they're shedding the virus, they're transmitting the virus. They infect people around them. And then after that, they develop symptoms. So that's pre-symptomatic. 
And then the last term is called posse symptomatic, which basically means that they have very, very mild symptoms and people just might not come to medical attention. You have symptoms. You might have a small fever. You might have a small cough. You might have myalgias, whatever. It's not severe enough that you're going to seek medical care, but you just have mild symptoms. So asymptomatic throughout the entire course, pre-symptomatic and posse symptomatic. And we've done a very poor job as a medical and scientific community from honing in and defining what those are. And the early data confuses those, even some of the more recent data confuses those. And then that primary data gets modeled, so that gets amplified in the further studies. Um, we need to do better. Now, certain studies are looking at this more closely and are defining this, and that's appropriate. But like, we're six months in, we should have been doing that from the get-go. Yeah, any, any uh, further thoughts to that, Sumon? Yeah, and you know, I think that uh, for, for the echo part that my much better dressed colleague, Dr. Um, Isaac Bogach, says here. <laughs> I, I thought it was horrible, man. man. Oh, and you know man. what? Hey, it's, it's good to have the shakeup. It's good to have the variety, man. <laughs> yeah. So if I ever get invited back, I'll. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> that's right. See, he, um, it's actually a very good point about the credibility. I mean, we all make mistakes, but this is the kind of thing you really want to get right, especially because there's so much confusion. One thing I will say, and this is actually quoting my good friend, Dr. Isaac Bogach and uh, Dr. Alan Detsky, is that at this time, I think people are thirsting for good news. And, you know, it would be good news if asymptomatic spread wasn't the thing. And that's, I think, why people jumped on this. Hey, look, all of a sudden we don't have to worry as much. And that's clearly not the case. Well, I shouldn't say that. It may be the case, but we definitely don't know. So let's take a look at this, look at the data, and then make our conclusions. I don't think I'm going to change anything majorly based on this. Yeah. Can I make a bold prediction? Yeah, make a bold prediction, actually. Okay. At the end, is this like, I totally could be wrong on this. I totally could be wrong on this. But here's, if we look in the crystal ball, six months from now, we're talking about the same thing. Here's what I think is going to happen. Number one, we're going to know that people who are pre-symptomatic are still going to be involved in significant transmission of the virus. I really think that's going to be the case. Mm -hmm. The people who are posse symptomatic, meaning you still have, you know, muscle aches and pains or mild symptoms, I bet those people are involved in transmission as well. Truly asymptomatic people, people that truly don't have any symptoms from the very beginning to the very end of the time the virus is in their body, I would bet, and again, I have nothing to back this up, but I would imagine, I bet that they actually don't have a significant role in transmission. I really don't. I bet that I, share this you know, I might be, maybe I'm way off on this, but you know, if, if we truly define the asymptomatic person from the time the virus gets into the body to the time they clear the virus, I'm, I'm, my guess would be that they're not going to be responsible for a lot of transmission. I could be way off on that. If anyone's watching this, prove me, maybe I'm wrong and that's fine. I accept it. Like, but let's actually get the data. That, that'd be my prediction. And is it fair to say, you know, as a non-infectious disease doc, like when you look at other respiratory infections, you know, and, and I don't want to say it's, you know, this is not the flu and, you know, right. so I'm just being clear there, like the truly asymptomatic patient, are they often spreaders as, um, are they often non-spreaders as well? They can be, they certainly yeah. can be but they're probably less likely. And, you know, some people shed more virus than others. And I think we're going to see, you know, a handful of truly asymptomatic people that are just shedding a lot of virus for some reason. And those are going to be the people that are spreading. I just think they're going to be in the minority. Mm -hmm. You know, same with the symptomatic people. Some people just shed a ton of virus. There's sort of this 80-20 rule where 20% of the people are responsible for 80% of the infection. So mm -hmm. I really think that that's going to be the case. Like, I know there's other respiratory viruses, but we can, you know, hey, we're talking ID, we can take it to like dengue and some other cool viruses as well. But like, there's a lot of people that get dengue 
and they don't have symptoms at all. A smaller proportion of people with another cool virus, chikungunya, these are mosquito transmitted viruses, but it's so it's not unheard of to have a virus of, you know, many different types of viruses and have no symptoms, but still be responsible for transmitting it. Usually it's the symptomatic people that are more likely to transmit it because the viremia or the viral load in the respiratory tract is higher. That's usually the case. Mm. And this is a bit of a, a tough question just because, you know, when oh, we talk about, on, yeah, yeah. Subhan, Give it to me. Actually, yeah. I'll, I'll start, with, start with you because like this virus has been unique in so many ways. And like we talked about, you know, the transmission of asymptomatic people and so forth. But what, what surprised you the most, guys? Like in terms of this, I don't know how many months it's been since we've been introduced to... We're in the sixth month now. Sixth month. Yeah. Like, has anything, maybe nothing surprised you, but has anything surprised you and um, to what extent? One thing to remember before I answer this. So like if Isaac has seen a certain number of COVID cases, I've seen one more than he's seen. Always. Okay, <laughs> all the good stuff. Always one more. Can I make a disclosure? Yes, Full yes, disclosure. yes. People haven't figured it out yet. Like we're pretty close buddies and I basically <laughs> talk to Shuman hey, about 4,000 times a day, either in texting or calling. Even though we're at different hospitals, like I talk to this guy all the time and now I'm out of the hospital and I got to see his ugly mug on the Oh my goodness. Here, so. He has oh, a man. face for radio. It's, you know, we were, uh, but <laughs> yeah, so, it's a, there been a couple of things that have surprised me. I think that one of the big things is that not that it's a, we haven't seen this with other viruses, but the explosive way that it's been able to kind of come onto the scene, uh, you know, the asymptomatic or the, sorry, pre-symptomatic, that type of spread. But the other thing I think is the actual clinical thing that all three of us have seen. And that's the idea of these people that are getting sick, but then they're stably sick for so long and then they mm. kind of get better, right? And, you know, Quadro, I'm sure you've seen that in the ICU and I can't explain it. These people that you know, oh man, this person's going to be on the ICU, in the ICU forever with a trach. And then three weeks later, they come out. And that's the kind of thing I think that, well, clearly it makes sense why these uh, patients can overload a healthcare system if we're not careful. But the way that it is prolonged like that, you know, there's other things too with the clotting stuff. We see that with other um, infections as well. But it's just that this is somewhat distinct from other coronaviruses. And I find it very, very unusual. Mm -hmm. I have two. Yeah. One sort of dorky and one a little more serious. The dorky one is, I, I love this uh, loss of smell and taste. I just think it's fascinating. Yeah. I think it's fascinating. And yeah. it goes well beyond having like a stuffy nose. Like, yeah. it's, a real, it's a real phenomenon. I mean, we're seeing, like, it's one of the first things I ask people in the hospital when, uh, if they're coming in and we're suspecting COVID-19. And like, just <laughs> total transparency, you know. We're on the COVID boards. I mean, we're, yeah. deal we're dealing and we're in the emerge with undifferentiated patients. Like, you know, you're wearing your PPE, but you know, we're human. And like, I wonder like, oh shit, was I exposed or something like that? And every day when I'm making breakfast for my kids, I do the like the peanut butter smell <laughs> test. And I'm like, no, nah, I think I'm still good. You know? I'm good. Like, I'm I really good. think that the, uh, the, uh, the loss of smell and taste is it's just a really fascinating feature. You know, there's some cool studies that have come out that looked at the high prevalence of this and, you know, it's the duration of it and all that mm. stuff. I don't know any mechanisms yet, but it, it's pretty interesting. I just think that's fascinating. I mean, it's kind of helpful clinically. I don't know. I really think it's interesting and what? it's uh, helpful. It's pretty specific. So, I, I mean, in the context of somebody coming in with uh, fever or, or respiratory symptoms, but uh, no, I, I totally agree. Yeah. Um, that's so, my dorky one. My other oh, yeah, yeah, your second one, one yeah. Was, uh, you know, the thing that's kind of sad, actually, but like, 
I don't know if this is the right avenue and maybe I don't want to take it in this direction, but like, Do it. you know, we're in the era of social media. We're in the era of, you know, everybody's opinion because they're on Facebook or they're on Twitter or they're in the news or you're walking down by them in the halls. And, you know, there has been, you know, you know, there's some, I think there's been some very good science communication in the media. I think in general, the Canadian media in general, of course, no one's perfect, but in general, I think the Canadian media has been very good and very fair. Yeah, there's been a few articles where you sort of roll your eyes. Um, and in general, I think people who are talking about this publicly, uh, there's a pretty diverse group of voices from, you know, ID, public health, medicine, sociology, economics, you name it. Generally, the message has been on point and interesting, and even that we're allowed to have a diversity of opinions, and I think it's wonderful to see that as well. But the disappointing thing, the surprising thing that's also somewhat disappointing is, you know, you see some people who should know better, some mm. scientists, some doctors, some public health providers jump on to per particular trends or knee-jerk reactions to certain data and, and you're like, you know, where is your critical, where are those critical thinking skills? Where's the mm. scientific method? Where is your ability to be a doctor, a public health provider, or a, a, you know, a scientist? You know, I don't think it's common, but it, it certainly is happening and, it's, and it's, it's visible, right? It's on Twitter, it's, on, it's in the media, it's, you know, in conversations in the hallway. And I mean, I'm not a fan of that. Luckily, it's rare, but that was, that is, it, it has taken me by surprise a bit yeah. throughout the course of this epidemic. I, I've been, I couldn't echo, I want to echo the same thing, Isaac. Like, you, you wonder often what is driving that, whether it's, you know, just to be sensational and get some more uh, visibility or just fear, but there's been a ton of stuff. And this is, this is what have been, this has been one of the most challenging things is like the dissemination of, of, of content and knowledge. Like you, like the example we often use in the ICU is like when we saw that New York data for ventilated patients, they were saying like over 80% mortality and all this stuff. Right. And I'm like, we're not seeing that at all. And like, you would see people say like, What's up, honey bunny? What's up, honey bunny? Hey! hey. Um, those listening to the, the uh, podcast version, we're seeing uh, Suman's lovely daughter. Uncle I heard her. She said Uncle Isaac, Uncle right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, Uncle Quadro. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I love it. Maybe it was Isaac. But um, the... Uh, no. <laughs> no, I know what you're saying. I hear yeah, what like, you're saying. Yeah, but yeah. So we like literally, for those that may have seen it before, we did a webinar with like six different intensivists throughout the world essentially saying what are you actually seeing because you would get patients saying that were like in their 50s and saying like don't put me on a ventilator i saw or you know i have a twitter account you know what i'm saying mm -hmm. like it's wow. it's crazy and so or intensivists or um clinicians saying like oh you know the prognosis is poor i don't really think patient why should be on a vent like you know what yeah. i mean so it, it it was like i've never seen yeah. anything like that before that, that was crazy. I was gonna say we yeah. all have we all have the the potential of like you know becoming uh, irrational about certain decisions. You know, listen, I was afraid at the very beginning of this too. You know, and uh, and I think that it's important that you just have insight into where your uh, your biases are and things like that. And I agree, like you know, there, there's been one of the things that it's, I know it's frustrated me. Isaac and I have talked about this a lot. Is the whole thing about you know the PPE, the airborne versus oh. droplet. You know, and the the thing is that. This one, it makes sense, but we have to just remember as docs in the end, we have to be evidence-based. We have to be, um, 
you know, willing to look at the things and go, okay, this is scary, but this is what the evidence is showing, right? And it's tough. I will say though, on one hand, you know, I, I was doing a lot of uh, uh, talking with groups to kind of help them calm down, answer questions and things like that. Now that we're about, whatever, in, in the Canadian aspect of things, three months in, people have calmed down a lot. A lot of the fear is gone. And I think that helps quite a bit too. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Like, I think that, I, I, I mean, I'm sure Isaac felt the same way. Once you started seeing cases, knowing that we could manage, knowing that our system clearly is not getting overrun, it just felt oh. a huge, like, exhalation everywhere. Wow. Remember, yeah. it was like... Uh, I was traveling. I was, I was out of town for about two weeks uh, in uh, late February, early March. It was a hell of a trip. Uh, and, uh, and that was like during that two weeks away, Canada just started to take off. And the cases started to take off. And I got back and, and I remember it was this very bizarre period in like mid-March where it was, we were sort of at this point where we were thinking like, holy shit, could we end up like New York or Northern yeah. Italy? Yeah. And you were talking about surge capacity. Well, you were probably in the next deep in this right in ICU surge capacity and we're talking about redeployment of physicians and do we need to set up tents outside the hospital you know obviously there was as much as people in Canada say you know things are terrible and things aren't going well I think we got to step back and look at the 30,000 of you and realize that you know of course there's things we can improve on of course there are but things are actually going pretty well in the vast majority of the country mm -hmm. uh but, but but I know what you mean like I was I was nervous because I wasn't sure what direction this was going to take in uh, in early to mid March and and you know things were getting potentially getting out of hand pretty quickly and uh, you know luckily we, uh, we didn't we never made it to that state where our, any of our healthcare systems were really overrun but uh, yeah yeah those were those are some some strange, strange yeah stuff. and you guys were I mean you guys were in the epicenter like my colleagues. Uh, out west and even in Ottawa, we actually never really got like any surge at all. Like we, huh. we were always at both sites. I think we were never more than you know sixty percent capacity. Like it was just Fantastic. so we were always kind of waiting for the 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 storm. But um, the other shoe to drop. The, but, you know that's the, uh, <laughs> like this, but you know that's the classic prevention paradox, right? Yes, the right? prevention yeah. paradox. People are going to say, oh, you overreacted. Why did you cancel all those elective surgeries? You know, yeah. why did everyone stay home on lockdown? Look, everything went fine. And that is the prevention paradox. You did a I mean, you, Canada in general, did a really good job preventing a total meltdown. And, and now there's these complaints now that, uh, you know, we overreacted and we did everything too soon or too late. I mean, there's so much armchair quarterbacking going on right mm -hmm. now. You know, everybody is an intensivist and everybody knows vents and everybody knows epidemiology and, and and like listen i'm not a stay in your lane kind of guy i'm really not my lane is open everyone's welcome <laughs> in this lane like please you know i do infectious diseases i do epidemiology like this lane is for everyone however if you're going to be in this lane like you know you should know how to speak the language and then yeah. like you know and, and like again i'm all for diversity of opinion it's great to have uh, debates and arguments, but like at least be reasonable and rational about some of these things. And you know, everyone seems to have jumped in the ICU lane about you know everyone now everyone knows everything about vents and vent capacity. Now yep. everyone knows about infectious diseases modeling. And, you know, it's great to have interest in in your in your field. Uh, and I hope it's really I really hope this inspires a lot of you know uh, medical students or residents to take you know career paths in ICU or ID or epidemiology or mathematical modeling. And, you know, maybe there's 
you know, high school kids or, or you know, uh, you know, people who are, might be interested in this. Uh, that's, that's fantastic too. Yeah. So I think there's, you know, there was a lot of, there was a few negative side, of side effects. There's also, I think there's going to be a lot of positive side effects. Yeah. Well. No, I, I think there's, there was a, a lot of positives that coming up out of this in general. I think of, for example, virtual health, I think that's going to take off. But um, have you done virtual I, clinics? Yeah. Right Both now. you guys. Yeah, so my, my clinic right now are basically all virtual, although we can bring some people in for wounds and things. Yeah. It's not the same, yeah, but I yeah. think that we do. I mean, I don't know. If, have you done much, uh, Isaac? It's, I find that yeah, it's Yeah, I'm doing tons. Like, yeah. uh, throughout COVID aside, we all have full-time, like, we all, nothing's changed with our full-time jobs. Like, you have That's clinics true. that are stacked. You have patients that you got to see. So I've been on the phone nonstop. <laughs> like, basically, this pandemic has been either seeing patients are talking on the phone. That's basically yeah, totally rounding agree. in the hospital or just like on the phone nonstop. Yeah, I, I, I'm running my clinics. I, listen, virtually. I was with my, uh, with my uh, cousin friend a couple weeks ago. We were playing tennis. He's an orthopedic surgeon. You know, he's just relaxing. He's at home. He's playing, he's doing these things. And they, because they have nothing to do right now, right? And it's yeah. just such a different experience than ID and ICU. We've just been working <laughs> our butts off for the past four my weeks. My suck. Yeah, it's just <laughs> terrible. If we never like, talked about COVID again, it would be Oh, tell me about it. it's not going to get better until, I don't know, when do you think things will start? But this, we don't this have is, the second wave. Yeah, this is, this is the question I got for you guys. I mean, there's so many directions, but I, I'm going to stick with this. Like, what is your sense of what's next? So, like, so I think a lot of people have consensus in terms of, yeah, maybe there's going to be a second wave in fall slash early winter. But what about, how's your feeling about all this, like, you know, so we've had all these protests outside. People are worried, but maybe we're going to see another surge to a certain degree. What's your guys' sense of uh, what the next little while will look like? You know, listen, I think that, um, like, let, let's say something that's really obvious. Protest is a very important part of freedom. And the, the fact that we have the freedom to protest in this country is a huge thing. We just have to remember that, um, you know, regardless of why you're congregating, the virus doesn't care. Right. I think the one silver lining about the protests, and I, I've been talking a lot about this actually, is the fact that it's outdoors. So I do think that you know that's going to cut the risk at least uh, significantly. The problem is, of course, that when you do get you know large groups together, especially in the protests, you know, you're doing things like singing, yelling, um, you know, cry, crying, unfortunately. But that, that that there is a risk. We have to recognize that, and there are things that we can do to mitigate that risk. Um, do I think that there's going to be, uh, you know, it, this could surprise me. We could see that there's not going to be a major spike after this. I know that right now there's uh, with what happened with Trinity Bellwoods in Toronto. The current time is about two weeks after that. We haven't seen any major signal. I'd wait for a couple of uh, more weeks before I conclude anything. But the point is, I think that we just have to keep in mind that everything we do right now, at least for the next year, has to be in the context of there being COVID in the background, right? Mm -hmm. Things are not going to be back to normal. You know, I, I'm not going to be going to a Tool concert, you know, and rocking out, uh, you know. Why in, Tool? Tool. Yeah, is that, that's is a that real question Why did you go here. to I would yeah, yeah. like at least 20 <laughs> other bands. Okay. Am I allowed to ask you what's your pandemic playlist? Speaking of Tool. Is yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, Tool's yeah. on there, Rage Against the Machine's on there, and Wu-Tang's on there. It's like, you know, the, the problem is, is that I have to do something because I'm a concert guy. We're not going to be seeing that for a couple oh, of years. Just have to virtually, that, you know? virtual, virtual bullshit. But you know what might be amazing, too, is like, you know, it's, I, you hear the term natural experiment, but you kind of roll your eyes, but it actually is a natural experiment, right? We have your Trinity Bellwoods. We have a ton of other, you know, Black Lives Matter protests. And, and you know, I, I'm with you all the way. I, I mean, I... 
totally, you know, everyone, you have a right to protest. Uh, and, and, you know, I'm always worried I'm going to say the wrong thing, but I can assure you my heart is in the right place. So mm -hmm. maybe I'll just leave it at that. Yeah. Uh, uh, but, but, um, you know, we'll find out sooner or later what the effect of this is. And of course, the mitigating factors are that it's outside. And I think that's going to be a tremendous mitigating factor. But you see some, some of these protests, they're not all created equally. Sometimes people are really, really tightly packed together yeah. and no one's wearing masks. Other ones, you see people like really maintaining physical distancing with tons of mask wearing. Um, you know, it'll be very interesting to see. If they're with the Trinity Bellwood saga from two weeks ago, I really think two weeks isn't enough time because like the people that were there were all, you know, late teens, early 20s. You know, if those people get infected, most of them are going to have a mild infection. I wonder how many are actually going to come to medical attention. It's going to be in another week or so where, you know, if they've infected grandma or grandpa or mom and dad, mm. that's going to be the tell. I don't think we're going to see a major spike just by with those individuals alone if there was an outbreak. And of course, like everyone else here, of course, I hope there's no outbreak. It would be amazing if being outside was like it was this tremendous had this tremendous protective effect that would be phenomenal that would mm -hmm. be phenomenal then suman maybe you could go see uh tool outside at an was, outdoor concert yeah but in all fairness like i'm not joking nickelback you can imagine like if imagine you do the, like the little circles on the grass at an outdoor event like you could theoretically bring back some fun and normalcy in the pre-vaccine era if we're if we really know how protective these outdoor environments are you know you do crowd control going into the venue crowd control going out of the venue hand sanitation stations and physical distancing with little circles on the grass like if if that truly is a, a as low risk as, as we want it to be i mean why not yeah i think you know there's um i haven't read the paper i think it was south korea they were saying like you know there was like 300 and something patients and they were they they thought maybe one was uh transmitted outside like covid-19 patient that was that was trans transmitted outside and i i know this is not solid evidence or whatever but yeah. at least it's something reassuring anyway and yeah. the fact that you know there's been these protests around the world yes it might be early um but the other thing is like what's actually going on with the virus because you know all these places in europe for example have opened up you know what I mean? Like they're, they've loosened restrictions. Uh, I mean, I think I, I might be getting the countries mixed up, but I saw, I saw some outdoor concerts in Israel, I, I believe. And, wow. and like they've been open for, you know, we're talking six, eight weeks, I think. Um, Around that, yeah. and, and we're not, and they're not seeing surges. Like what's happening like, in your opinion? I don't know if this is an easy question or yeah. not, but. No, I mean, this is a, the way this virus works is, you know, it, when you have so many people infected, it just looks like one just mass of infection. But once you get the virus under control in different populations, and we can even take it closer to home, look at British Columbia, Alberta, New Brunswick is a great example as well. You know, there's very little community transmission of this virus. And then and once you're in those types of settings, the new normal is going, if, if we keep our border closed and don't import a ton of uh, cases, and if we maintain this, we're going to see very patchy outbreaks. We're going to see, you know, meatpacking plants. We're going to see a daycare center. We're going to see a high school. We're going to see a wedding or something like that, where, you know, someone with mild symptoms, maybe no symptoms, who just happens to be shedding a lot of virus is going to infect three or four people uh, or more. And, you know, these are called super spreading events. And I think this is what we're going to see in places 
that have decent control of the virus. As Suman pointed out, uh, you know, this in the pre-vaccine era, there's no certainty. There's no zero risk place. And mm-hmm. even with all the control measures in place, even if we do everything right, we're going to see this. And, and, and we did see this in Alberta. There's been, a, you know, Alberta's done a great job, yet there's an outbreak here or there. British Columbia's done a great job. Frozen Fruit Factory has an outbreak. Israel's done a terrific job. Outbreak at a high school. South Korea's done a wonderful job. Outbreak at a nightclub. Uh, and, and this is just the patchy nature of the virus. It's actually epidemiologic terms and overdispersed are not. It just basically means that, you know, there's going to be a few people that are just shedding a lot of virus that are going to be responsible for the most transmission. I think we're going to see that moving forward. Yeah. And and if you look like, you know, uh, Quadra, you were talking about like all the, you're noticing uh, there's a couple of articles that kind of put together our knowledge of these uh, super spreading events. Right. And for uh, one comment you made is that uh, all of them, but one are inside. But the other thing is exactly that. It's like, um, yeah, one thing that I've learned recently is that, you know, it's not that every person has the same potential of spreading the virus. Some people just don't, but some people based on whatever biological reason they might uh, be uh, shedding more virus, but they also say are in a job where they're like seeing tons of people during the day. Mm -hmm. Right. And that's what I think that we'll see. So I think we should expect as, as Isaac is is, uh, alluding to is that we should see, you're going to see outbreaks and that's not, this is why track and trace is so important. The point is you see this little fire, you go there, you put it out and try to prevent this big fire. And that, that's what's going to be the, the, the um, case over the next you know, several months. And you know, I, um, I'm not saying that I don't think a vaccine is going to come. I'm, I'm just a bit less optimistic than Isaac is. But I do think until then, things are going to be very uh, different. Mm. I don't want to take it in the wrong direction, but Quadra, are you seeing outpatients as well? Like, do you have, no. are you doing virtual care? Okay. No, zero. You're doing zero. ICU? Just ICU. I, I normally do nice. a little bit of palliative, but um, nice. and, uh just focusing on the research of late. So, um, but yeah. Um, interesting. Cause like, um, there's a lot of theory out there that, you know, like when you look at other respiratory viruses, they seem to have like a natural curve and they, they seem to decrease for whatever reason seasonally, like when we cut, come into the summer months or whatever, yeah. like is is it, it can't be just as simple as we're outside, is it? Or what's the theory behind this in your humble opinions? I've got a few thoughts. And again, like the short answer is, I don't know. The longer answer is nobody knows, but here's a few theories. One is that, you know, this virus may very well end up being a seasonal virus. And it may, may very well, you know, we know that it likes cooler climates, cooler temperatures better. It may very well morph into something where we see, you know, seasonal variation and, and, and uh, you know, similar to like influenza season from November to February. It might turn into something like that. The thing is, in the context of a pandemic, those rules are kind of out the window, right? Mm-hmm. You know, we talk about outdoors, we talk about sunlight, we talk about temperature, we talk about ultraviolet rays, all being factors that decrease viral transmission. Yet, this virus is exploding in Brazil, India, Bangladesh, Pakistan, uh, Ecuador, I can go on and on and on. All those kind New Delhi was having 40 degrees Celsius today in sun, right? Uh, it, it, like, these are places with no shortage of heat, no shortage of ultraviolet rays, and yet the virus is taking off. So in, in the context of a pandemic, when the global burden is so large, I don't think those rules necessarily apply. Even if there is a, some mitigating factor of them, it's probably not going to be that measurable or that significant. 
Now, when the global burden goes down for whatever reason, vaccination, or we all just get this infection over the next few years, you know, maybe it'll morph into that seasonal variation. But until then, I don't think we're going to see it. Um, the other interesting thing is, you know, it's not, I get it, this is not, this is a different virus, but uh, we had a pandemic in 2008, 2009 with H1N1. That's a flu virus, right? The flu does not like summer warm months. The flu circulates in cooler temperatures, yet this exploded in summer months as well. You have mm -hmm. a non-immune population. We, it's a respiratory virus that's easy to transmit from person to person, and it exploded in the summer months, and then it morphed into its seasonal variation again. So hmm. I don't think we're going to see anything like that until, you know, a while down the line. Hmm. Um, Suman, I don't know if you have any more to add to that, or you just like, yeah, I totally agree. No, I don't I totally agree. But you, I think that right. uh, the, the one thing is, is that like, the thing that's always scared me about these viruses, and remember, even though like with, uh, with this, uh, we're seeing this pandemic, right? Remember, we also saw a pand uh, or at least like a, a huge epidemic with things like Zika as well. And this yeah. has kind of been like the, um, you know, the new rules that we're seeing, the new normal that we're seeing with the viruses. They come into a huge population because of, uh, you know, ability to spread these things around the world, and then they explode. And, you know, it's, um, it's uh, unfortunately something I, th I think that we haven't seen the last of. I don't think we necessarily will see another pandemic like this, but I think that we're going to be grappling with this. And uh, it's, I just hope that next time, including if there's a second wave, that we're able to actually be prepared for it and see it coming uh, from, you know, miles away rather than, you know, you have a, a tidal wave about to hit and you're, you're protecting yourself. Oh, man. I, I mean, I've heard many uh, experts say we saw this coming. And um, yeah, <clears throat> I think there, there's going to be a lot more respect. I don't. Hopefully, there'll be investment, but a lot of more respect for public health and and respect for viruses because this is not yeah. going to be the only one. Hopefully, it won't be to this yeah. extent, but it won't be the but only. But like, one. let's think about it. we've been lucky, right? Yeah. SARS in 2003. Yeah. What was after SARS? H1N1 in MERS. 2008, 2009. Mm. MERS came after that. Chikungunya landed from Africa slash Asia into the Americas, swept through Latin America and the Caribbean. No one could move their elbows and knees for a year. Okay. Mm. Zika swept through Latin America and the Caribbean as well. Like this is not unique in that a uh, virus that's probably existed for millennia is introduced into a, a, a population and spreads like wildfire. Right. Mm -hmm. This is, this has been happening with increasing frequency over the last two decades. And it will continue to happen. And a lot of this is basically related to, number one, humans encroaching into different territories and in, 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 in close contact with non-human animals. And number two, human mobility. I mean, literally, this started in Wuhan, China. And before this, I would gamble that many people, at least in North America, had never heard of Wuhan, China, even though it's a city of 11 million people, right? And then, you know, three months later, Three months after we even heard of something going on, I first heard of it on December 31st with the ProMed Mail uh, report. Yeah, Three too. months later, there's a pandemic. You know, yeah. it's phenomenal. It's phenomenal. But we kind of got scary, lucky staggering. In the sense that it hasn't happened this frequently beforehand. And those other ones, we were able to, SARS, we could quell. MERS, we could quell. H1N1 swept through the world. But we got lucky that it, 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 you know, it's just influenza. Zika and and chikungunya. I mean, those are those are terrible infections uh, for a couple of different reasons. But you know, you're only going to get those where you have the right mosquitoes, the right altitude, the right 
uh, human host, the right uh, climate. So, you know, that's not, it, it can spread, but it's not going to go everywhere on the planet. So, you yeah. know, it's interesting. Yeah, no, it's, it's crazy when you take a bird's eye view at all this. Um, so d just to get your answer to this directly. So like this second wave, do you, like, do you anticipate as I might've been preemptive and putting words in y'all's mouth, but like in the, in the winter or in the late, late fall, like would your prediction be that we would get a second wave? Yeah. I mean, yeah. I think, I think that we should, like, for me, what I think is that we should expect it. Right. And I've seen a lot of different models um, uh, of, you know, what we're going to see. Are we going to see a massive one like 1918? I think that's the least likely situation, like a massive wave that's bigger than the one now. Uh, are we going to see something? Yes. And I think that, um, you know, the, like people said, is that in the uh, respiratory virus season expected to come. And the question is, what do we see? Do we see a, a smaller wave? Do we see multiple small waves? Do you see one kind of like flat? It, it's, it's hard to know. And a part of this also, I think that um, I really hope, and I, I am encouraged by the fact that I think that we will be much more ready for it, but it's something that it's really easy to want to kind of completely forget about this once this first wave is, we're coming to a conclusion, at least in Canada, but this thing is not going away anytime soon. Mm. I totally agree. I mean, I don't think it's a matter of, are we, I think we are going to see one. It's just a matter of, do we have the capacity for early detection? Uh, and can we quell this before it turns into a large wave? And, you know, people start debating, well, is this just a spike in your first wave? Is it a true second wave? Honestly, who cares? It's a spike in cases. Like, I mean, maybe the hardcore epidemiologists care and they're going to, you know, write me some angry letters and stuff but like a spike in cases is a spike in cases whether or not it's a spike in the first wave or whether or not it's a distinct second wave like i don't i don't care that's a high that's a, it's unacceptable either way and we know how to detect and prevent that from happening and we've got to do it so you know there it's interesting if you look at places that are a little farther ahead than us uh, I, I like the example of south korea i mean they have really good early detection systems they have uh, amazing abilities to do contact tracing. And this nightclub case that we sort of chatted about earlier, you know, one person was basically responsible for about 100 cases in South Korea when he was at a packed nightclub. It was great to watch South Korea respond to that. Number one, they started closing down the nightclubs again. Number two, they were able to contact trace like crazy. They were able to provide people with rapid you know, access, low, low barriers to diagnostic tests. They're able to tell who was there, who are the secondary possible cases. Uh, provide people and support people through a 14-day period of isolation. Like, that's the kind of thing that will prevent a second wave from happening. Early detection systems, timely access to diagnostic tests and diagnostic capacity, rapid ability to perform contact tracing, and ability to support people through a 14-day period of isolation, those who are infected and those who are close contact. And if we have that dialed in, I think we'll do okay. But, you know, you look at scenes in the southern United States where it's almost like there was never, ever a coronavirus pandemic uh, and you see like you know tell surprise you know arizona has like limited icu capacity right now and they don't have any ecmo capacity because they're just getting smoked florida's taking off i think there's 21 states that are on this trajectory you know this this we know how to prevent this i mean we know how to prevent this we've been there uh and uh, there's lessons to be learned and it's just really upsetting to watch this to watch this happen I think the place that's actually truly having like a true definition of a second wave right now is Iran. And if you look at the cases in Iran, they had a big spike in cases, it's come down, and now they're having another big spike in cases, about 
I mean, this is what's reported, but it's about 3,000 new cases per day. So wow. um, I think they sort of lifted their restrictions uh, prematurely and went back to normal. And, and, you know, they don't call them communicable diseases for nothing. Yeah. Wow. And so they like, and when, when you say uh, reduced restrictions, they go back to normal or did they? It's, yeah. Wow. You can see all, the, all like the videos. It's, it's hard to know because you never trains, know. Right? Yeah. Yeah. It's hard to know. But it, it, it appears that's the case. But I mean, did you guys see the scenes out of, um, I saw some, I forget, some media outlet, like there's scenes out of Las Vegas from last oh, night. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Where it was just like, there's just a million people walking around. It's indoors. No one's wearing masks. They're at the casinos. It's packed. Like, come on. I mean, <laughs> you don't need a crystal ball to predict what's going to happen there. Like, you, wow. you know what's going to happen. It's inevitable. It's inevitable. Yeah. Wow. No, really it's... So what do, you, what do you guys think in terms of the level of exposure, we'll say like mostly in Canada or Ontario, Toronto, wherever is easier to, to give an example. Like you, you, always, you often hear about people, you know, your neighbor or colleague saying, you know, back in February, I was having all these symptoms. I was achy, you know what I'm saying? And I got my flu shot and... um you know, part of me really wonders is, is like, did, was there way more exposure than we thought or, or think there was? Like, is there going to be more people that have, um, that have been exposed or, and maybe have a certain level of herd immunity? I know that's a taboo term these days oh, for whatever reason. But, um, Great term, man. I love it. I, I love it too, but I, I don't know. I don't even know why I said that's a taboo term. Um, but, um, but, yeah, do you guys have a sense of, like, do you think it's more ubiquitous than we say it is or well i mean like remember at the very beginning of this like you know uh, there was some like sentinel testing sentinel testing they're kind of like reaching into the community in february and march to see if they could see where there was community spread and the thing is that most of us think there probably was and i'll be honest with you i didn't believe there was at the time but now kind of looking back i think there certainly was earlier than we expected we still got lucky because we were able to kind of put our uh, lockdown in before the inflection point where before it started, you know, going up exponentially. But um, I do certainly think that there's a lot to, to uh, the fact that people think, you know what, I had this weird flu that I've never had in my entire life in sometime in late February. And, you know, if we ever get a reliable um, widespread serology test that will tell you that, you know, you've been exposed to uh, SARS-CoV-2, it might be really interesting to, you know, do a seroprevalence and see Oh, you're positive for it, and you know you've you've never really uh, you never really knew it. Or yeah, that that cold that you had back in February may have been this. It looks like uh, uh, it was it was there before we really knew about it. It was in the midst, in our midst. Yeah, I'm allowed to drink scotch on the podcast. Yeah, right? yeah Scott, a hundred percent. I'm kind of okay, wishing that if I I'm like uh, I'm like empty nester. My family's out in out of town so i was uh yeah I, no one's there to get me some uh right. scotch myself so i'm i'm sipping I, this water my daughter so i agree with you mom but I, honestly i don't think honestly i don't think there's like again like the short answer is i don't know we'll have this answer we'll have these answers sooner or later when we have serologic tests available um but you know at, in the early days at least in canada we didn't have the best diagnostic capacity i thought we did but we we actually didn't. And we know lots of people are getting turned away from COVID testing centers. That was really disappointing to see, uh, you know, and, uh, and, you know, I'm sure a lot of those people actually had COVID-19 infections. And 
you know, there was just a capacity, a laboratory capacity issue at, at that time. I think throughout most of the country, that's largely been remedied. Um, but so like at the end of the day, you know, someone said, you know, I was really sick in January. I was really sick in February. Was that COVID? Yeah, there's still a ton of influenza going on around that time as well. And, uh, you know, before the lockdown, it was a pretty bad influenza season, all things considered. So I think there's a lot of influenza that people think was COVID. But still, at the end of the day, because so many people were turned away from COVID-19 testing centers, our numbers are, are obviously undercalling it. I mean, yeah. that's, those are the best numbers we have. And there's going to be significantly more people that had this infection than what our, our numbers suggest. Um, but having said that, I don't think it's going to be like some tremendous value where we're just going to see, you know, large swaths of the population positive for this infection. I actually think it's going to be surprisingly underwhelming. That'd be my yeah. guess. Um, it's kind of, and, and you know, it's what, concerning, the, the, right? the only reason I say that is because when we look at some of these places that were smoked, you know, you look at like the hardest hit neighborhoods in, in, in New York and, and something like that. And some, you know, there's a place in Germany that was significantly impacted. Like these were truly healthcare systems that were stretched beyond capacity. Like these were the heaviest hit places. And like the seroprevalence in the heaviest hit neighborhoods of the heaviest hit places is something like 20%. Uh, so when you think of that and you yeah. think about like Canada, it's probably going to be a hell of a lot less, even in the, even in the heaviest hit neighborhoods as of now. I mean, obviously, as we move forward, there's going to be more and more and more infection in the pre-vaccine era. But as of now, I think it's probably a lot less than many people might think. Yeah. Is it, mm -hmm. and this might sound random, but is that good? And, and you know what I mean? Like, uh, like I, I know we're leaning on this vaccine. Personally, I'm, I'm, I'm a bit pessimistic at, in terms of the vaccine, just from my talks. We had uh, Paul Offit on. Uh, he, he developed the rotavirus vaccine and just, you know, just really clarifying the steps needed to establish this. And, I mean, this is years ago, but it took him 25 years. And we're talking about doing something in, you know, what are 18 months to two years. Um, yeah, if like I almost wish, like my my dream is that that we've had way more exposure than we think, just yeah. to yeah. this level of more herd immunity. But um, yeah, I, that's just there's nothing really to back that, I guess. You know, um, I, I was thinking no. at the beginning of this whole thing, like, um, so I got uh, I think Isaac as well. We both gotten swabbed a couple of times, so I got swabbed, and I was actually almost hoping it was positive. Number one, that I didn't feel that that yeah. sick it was very very mild right yeah and then i then after that like you, you know you have this you know you probably do have some short-term immunity and then you know it's, it's a oh, bit yeah. of a weight off your chest but yeah i think that overall it's it's uh, a lot of what we've been doing has been uh, uh concentrating on deaths people have been saying okay, you know deaths 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 but the thing is the, the biggest issue with this is not deaths necessarily it's the fact that it is such explosive growth that can then overwhelm a system. And once you overwhelm your hospital system, that's when things just don't work anymore. And, you know, people are getting exposed, PPE runs out, what we saw in New York City. So yeah. I think that that's the thing is that at so long as we have a low amount of uh, immunity in the population, there's a potential for that happening. I don't think yeah. it's going to happen here. I think we're going to be able to deal with anything, but any um, uh, future waves, but it's, it's always there. And I don't know, what do you think, Isaac, 5%, 10%? Yeah, probably. I think you raise a really cool point, though, that I've noticed as well. And it's when you're dealing with, like, um, it's mostly in my interactions with healthcare providers, but I've had this with a couple of patients as well. When we've done the diagnostic test and it was negative, and we can talk about false negatives another time, but 
the psychology of, damn it, I wish it was positive. Like, yeah. why could that have been my COVID illness? Yeah. I just want to get it over with. Yeah. And I appreciate I'm probably immune, at least for to some extent, for some period of time. And like, that is like a very calm, it's like, it's almost like a unanimous answer whenever you deliver the news that the COVID test is negative. Yeah, I mean, and if people are well, you know. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, when all this came out, you know, the whole idea was flatten the curve. This is extremely contagious. The idea is we're probably going to have exposure to it. I'm, I've always assumed that I'd be exposed, like I, that. Yeah. You know, it's coming eventually. It's just a matter of when. But one of the issues I found is, I, I always feel like where our goals are changing frequently like is it really making sure our system isn't overrun or is it you'll hear people say like let's not flatten the curve let's get it to zero um but you know part of the thing with our show too is like we talk a lot about the consequences of lockdown of like not being you know like when it comes to the kids um Mm -hmm. you know there's more uh abuse there's domestic abuse there's people not coming into hospital there's uh, the cancer screening is not happening like there's a ton of disproportionately affecting women yeah at the home absolutely like it's 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 so like i think um that's been one of my biggest pet peeves in this in this whole discussion is like really like like looking at public health in a big scope like who else is being affected even even if they don't have the diagnosis of covid um but yeah I, i i just hope that um just hope that um, our goals are realistic and um, we always consider those that are being impacted as well. Um, Speaking of kids, actually, this was a monster topic that came up a million times when we were promoting the show was your thoughts on kids going back to school and the worry about like packages, like kids going back to school, them getting sick, uh, Kawasaki's if you want, um, any thoughts towards any of that business? It's going to happen. I, mean, I think we sort of, it's going to happen, right? We can, schools, if schools go back, you know, you take all the safeguards in place, you put the desks in the gym, you spread them apart by two meters. Even if you make the kids wear masks, which I have no idea how the hell you're going to do that. Yeah. But it, you know, you, it, if you do everything right, there's still going to be an outbreak in a school at some, at some place. You know, yeah. you can do wh- everything you can to lower the risk. You can do everything you can to reduce the risk of transmission. If it is introduced, there's still going to be a school outbreak. There's still going to be a mm-hmm. bunch of kids sent home for 14 days of quarantine. It's still going to have, as you point out, I really love that you point out, there's a lot more than health here. Public health is a lot more than physical health, right? There's tremendous negative economic impacts because that means a parent probably has to stay home. And that means there's less income in the family. And that means, they have trouble paying their mortgage. And that means there's going to be, you know, that can translate to a lot of different things. Um, so this is a tremendous ripple effect. But, you know, that's a really good point, Isaac, because I think that we have to be, um, I find a lot of people kind of put this dichotomy between economy and health, right? Yeah. Oh, you just care about money. That's why. You, no, absolutely not. I think that uh, there's lots of these unintended consequences with this lockdown. Lockdown, we had to do it. We had to do it, but there's all sorts of downstream consequences. Um, if I can make one thing about the uh, comment about the uh, school, I was, I was thinking about this a lot. And I think that at some point we have to assume we're going to see cases, right? And what can we do to kind of mitigate the harm that's going to happen from that? So let's say, you know, what are the harmful things? If you have a teacher, for example, who has, uh, who's older, you know, over the age of 60, because when kids get it, they don't get that sick. Yes, the Kawasaki thing happens, but it's so rare. 
right? Mm -hmm. So what can we do? Can we make things so that, okay, um, if, if there's a virtual, um, uh, a virtual option for kids who have other issues or they live at home with grandpa and grandma. Uh, what we have to do kind of looking at the situation where school can happen, but we mitigate whatever risks we can. It's going to be a messy situation. I, I don't know how we're going to deal with it, but I think that there's going, we can't uh, have a realistic, it's not a realistic goal. I mean, to have no cases all they're going to happen. Yeah. We have to kind of uh, yeah. roll with the punches. Yeah. yeah. Maybe it just comes, comes down to, as you guys are saying, like, you know, uh, rapid contact, uh, contact tracing, like just shut it down is like, have that heightened awareness in the schools that, uh, once there's some cases there that, um, you know, get the kids isolated and, and do the contact tracing. But I, that's my point of view is like, it's, this is, it's coming. And to think yeah. like, uh, Isaac, I don't know how old are your kids, Isaac? I have to ask my wife. I'm not sure. Oh, they're six and eight. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. To, to expect, like, like my boys to, like, be distant all the time, wear masks. Not a chance. I can't get even... my daughter to wear a diaper, man. Yeah. How is she going to wear a mask? Absolutely. Yeah. Like, it's like, so I think, in my opinion, if you're opening schools, you're opening schools. And, yeah. um, and, yeah. but like, luckily. But it's like living with uncertainty, right? I mean, yeah. I was, I, I think I was, I was incorrect. I, I kept saying, you know, we have to get used to living with uncertainty. You don't have to get used to anything, right? Some people just can't do that. That's okay. Uh, but regardless of what we're used to and what we're not used to, there is uncertainty. Mm -hmm. There is uncertainty. And until we have a durable solution out of this shitstorm that we're in, there is uncertainty. Mm -hmm. And the durable solution hopefully is a vaccine that will hopefully be protective, that will hopefully come soon, that will hopefully be readily available to the world, that will hopefully be readily available to the world in a meaningful time because we have the means to mass produce it and distribute it, that will hopefully be equitably distributed. Like, there's a lot of hopefuls there. And, you know, Jupiter's really got to align with Mars for that to, for that to happen. Um, and until that happens, there is uncertainty. Whether or not we're comfortable with it is up to us, uh, but there is uncertainty. Yeah, it's like everything else. Like you, there's going to be a certain level of risk, and um, we just have to decide collectively, like what's a, what's that acceptable level? Mm -hmm. Absolutely, um, and individually, and yeah, individually, yeah, right? absolutely, like, 100%. Hey, listen, haircuts. You, you, maybe you can get a haircut. Well, listen, for me to get a haircut, maybe it's a lot, which I need. By the way, I'm like glued down yeah. here. <laughs> but like for me to get a haircut, that might be very different from someone who lives in a multi-generational home with a 92-year-old frail grandmother there, yeah. right? I don't have that. And the consequences might be very different for different people. So people's risk threshold, people's risk perception, people's yeah. personal circumstances, that's probably going to dictate a lot of their behaviors. And the consequences of interacting with the world around you is going to be very different for different people. So yeah, yeah it's, you know, there's, and, and yet again, it's, there's a lot of uncertainty. Such a, such a great point. Like I gave a talk um, last week to a, a group of psychologists about, uh, because of, about reopening. And, and to me, I'm like, especially with you guys having to be engaged with your, your client and everything. It's like, what level of risk is acceptable for you? You know, like yeah. if you're not comfortable with shit, like do it virtually, don't risk it. Cause you know, it's going to affect your care. Um, but yeah, that's a, to me, those are fantastic points. Um, we're going to take some questions that are from the audience and some of them were uh, put up on Twitter and uh, social, other social media. So um, 
here's um I think an give easy give the one. hard ones to him. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was gonna be like, I've got okay. a question. Like, Simon, in 2008, how come you were really late when we were supposed to meet at that place? <laughs> right. It was a musical, right? Um, the um, but okay, let's see this. What are the thresholds for opening up? Are like basically, were you guys comfortable with the threshold for opening up, or do you think we're doing it too soon? Do you think you're doing it too late? I actually have a strong opinion about this too. Actually. Um, how do you guys feel about going uh, first? Jack, you want to come on? Yeah, Simone. yeah. I'll go. You know, I'll be honest. I think that we needed to do something. I, I think that uh, uh, the fact that um, we opened up, I think that we opened up at a right time. Could it have been too early? Sure. But I think the biggest part about this is that they have a monitoring system where they're looking to see what happens. If we open and we're, we're moving forward, and all of a sudden we start to see a lot of cases, we have a plan for to move, to either stay still or move back uh, back into uh, more restrictions. So, as long as it's something that's being done systematically, it's okay. We don't have to be perfect. I think a lot of people who, yeah. um, you know, they want zero risk when they're going to be opening up, and we can't do yeah. that. And yeah. I'm very, you know, my sister's in business. Uh, I've talked a lot about with her some of the things that we don't think about in healthcare, things at the supply chain. She's explaining to me, if you get to this point where the supply chain is messed up, that could be messed up, I don't say permanently, but for a long period of time. And then all of a sudden there's food security issues, right? You know, it's very easy for me to say, everybody stay in lockdown. But if we start to have that issue, it's not good. So that, that's what I think. What do you think, Isaac? I like the regional approach that we took. I mean, it was ridiculous that Toronto is ruining it for the rest of Ontario. Exactly. And, Preach, like, okay, boy. So, like, oh. you were in Universal, Kingston, Timmins, Kenora, Thunder Bay. Oh. Like, these poor small business owners are yeah. on lockdown because we can't get our shit together in the GTA. Yeah. And, and, you know, we'll get it figured out. We'll get it figured out. And I get it. People travel. People move. You can go from the GTA and go to you know, North Bay for a haircut. But if you have those steps in place for early detection and, and, and you take the steps to prevent introduction and transmission, you know, it's, it's not fair to hold other people back. And, and like, you just think about, like, forget the health repercussions. Think about the tremendous economic and sociologic repercussions of having people on lockdown that are like a thousand kilometers away that have like, like next to nothing of a risk. So I like that regional approach. Alberta did it. They left Calgary and uh, Brooks yeah. behind. Quebec yeah. did it. They left Montreal behind. And I'm finally glad Ontario got it together and, and left uh, the GTA. Sadly, that I'm in the GTA right now and still can't get a haircut. But hey, we'll wait our <laughs> turn until we're good and ready. Uh, but, you know, we're, we're, we just weren't yet. Um, so I think that was a smart approach. I'm really glad they finally did it. Yeah, I, yeah, you guys, like, I was going to go off on this topic, but you hit my points, like, the regional aspect. That, it just was nonsensical. And um, and just, like, the delays, like, I still think of, you know, my our cancer patients not getting screened and, and delayed surgeries. Like, this is, and, like, this, this is going to be a real issue. Actually, we're releasing a show. Do you guys know Sebastian Rodriguez? Do you know him? Yeah, oh, from, from yeah. Western. From Western. Western. Yeah. No, yeah, he, we, we have him on talking about uh, wait times and uh, what to expect oh, wow. here because it's, uh, it's not going to be pretty. It ain't going to be pretty. Yeah. Um, He's orthopedics now, is that right? Yeah, Orthopedic? he does ortho, yeah. 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 He's a, wow, we're not um, allowed to hang out with those guys. We're like the losers <laughs> in infectious diseases. We're like on the, on the totem pole, we're like somewhere down here. Yeah. Yeah, I, it, I do. It takes I do. a lot of effort. Lunch money. <laughs> a lot of effort to increase the dose of ceftriaxone. Okay, 
it, 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 it hurt my wrist to write that today. So One like, or totally two unrelated, games. totally unrelated. But you think about like what they do during a day, you know, people crawl into hospital and then they like, you know, tear up, like cut out an acetabulum and replace it and hammer it in. Like they do amazing. People walk out of hospital. And like Tumat and I basically write like piece <laughs> of ankylomycin from 1.25 grams to one gram Q12 hours, and like we're like, oh yeah. You want to change it to Q8? You want to change it to Q8? Um, yeah, yeah exactly. no, it's so true. Actually, it's funny. I used to get, I used to bug me a bit to be stereotyped to be like, are you ortho? Are you ortho? And now I'm, I take it as a compliment. I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm ortho. Yeah. yeah, they get it done. There's a lot of people that get it done. Exactly, it's, it's impressive. Um. Okay, how do we approach the safe reunion of couples who've been living in separate homes and who have been requiring to social distance for the last few months? Do you like that one? I don't know if I like that one. I could skip that one. Ah, just, I mean, like, listen, I think the, the key, it's pretty quick, right? You adhere to the local public health guidelines. If you're allowed to get together, get together. If you're not, don't. And, and, and again, as sort of as we were talking about earlier, everyone's individual circumstances are going to be different. If there's going to be the risk of introducing this to someone who's frail or going to have a poor outcome, maybe think twice about it. If, if there's a lower risk, go for it. Mm. I'll, I'll say one thing that's really important, I think, with this is that we have to also remember that right now, the number of cases that are in the community today is much less than it was in March and April, right? Yeah. So like, yeah. yeah, there's a risk that you can bring it home to your wife or, you know, if you're a healthcare worker, for example, but that risk is much smaller than it was before. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Good, good, good. Um, let's see. Uh, where is that? Yeah, I could use some of that right now, too. Um, give me the local person. Do you think we've been locked down? Yeah, I've covered that. We've covered this. I'm going to have one of my own questions, actually, that come up a lot. Vitamin D status and COVID-19. Zuban, you take this one first. I want to hear what you got to say. Yeah, okay. So this, you, you know what, vitamin D has been something that's kind of, so this is what I noticed that whenever any of these kind of um, uh, new illnesses come out, you'll see like these analyses done where you're going to throw a whole bunch of things up against the wall and see what sticks, right? Listen, we do know that vitamin D is associated with, uh, low vitamin D status is associated with, with uh, uh, worsening, for example, TB. It's one of the things that we have a pretty good uh, association. Um, you know, we've seen things with blood type. We've seen smoking status. Uh, I think the biggest things that we're seeing right now in terms of a good tight correlation is vascular risk factors tend to be a big thing like diabetes, hypertension, and age, right? Uh, vitamin D status, I've seen it. I'm not really sure what to make of the, the link, uh, but to my knowledge, I don't know of anything that's strong, but Isaac, take it away. Do you know more? <coughs> Okay, so I mean, listen, like oh, I like to call these DFZs. We're in the data-free zone. And some people say, precautionary principle. It does, you know, what's the harm? Everyone should be on vitamin D. In all fairness, like, let's just make a, again, I could be wrong. I've, I'm allowed to make predictions and I appreciate being wrong. The point is, I'm totally open-minded to the data, totally open-minded to changing practice. I'm just sort of skeptical that, as, I wonder, at the end of the day, at the end of the day, if the, if the thought is, if people are supplemented with vitamin D because they're slightly deficient, will that have a meaningful impact on whether or not they get severe or less severe COVID-19 infection? I'm, I'm, I'm a little skeptical of that. I am. I am. Listen, if you're vitamin D deficient, you should take vitamin D. Uh, 
Uh, but but on the other hand, you know, is that truly going to help you? Is that truly going to have a protective effect? Listen, these are easy, these are answerable questions. Like these are easy trials to run. Um, it might be harder because we're seeing fewer and fewer cases, but like these are answerable questions. And like, I'm, I'm a little skeptical on that. And then, you know, here comes the hate mail, right? You know, Oh, precautionary principles. Oh, what's the harm? Oh, you know, you should see this data from the journal of null results from 2001. Like, you know, and everyone throws crap at you in your email and they go delete, 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 you know, show me some good data or like give me a real hypothesis. And, you know, I'm totally open-minded to it, but, um, I, I, I don't think it'll pan out. I hope I'm wrong. Like at the end of the day, yeah. I hope, because it would be amazing. Like if it's really that simple, it would be phenomenal. I would love that. Just like hydroxychloroquine. It would be amazing if that oh, worked. Wait, like, that doesn't work, right? <laughs> <laughs> but like, I just, I just don't think it's going to be as simple as that. I really don't. Yeah. I, my personal belief is like, I, I don't know. I, you know, looking at the evidence, there seems to be a, a correlation. The, the part of that though is like, I think if you have chronic illness, a lot of people are vitamin D deficient, right? So I think, I, I think yeah. they have a tough time like really sussing that out. Oh yeah. But oh for, yeah. Yeah. But for me though, I'm of a believer that it, just in medicine in general, if there's little harm, why not? You know what I mean? That's, that's my philosophy. If it's a, might be a little bit of 80, 20 in there and saying like a small intervention that has a big bang, who knows, but, Certainly, if it was something but that that's was that's a different point, right? That's yeah. a different question. That's yeah. a, you know what, we're going to supplement the vitamin D. If you're, the next question is, is it actually doing anything is yeah. the question, right? Yeah. Like, exactly. I don't think it is. And maybe it is. I hope it is. But I don't, I don't know if it will. Yeah. And remember also, but, it's, all, but it, it's a good point. Like, you know, the I, one thing that kind of makes me uncomfortable about the, the precautionary principle, and I'm not saying, by the way, Quadro, that I necessarily disagree, is just that sometimes like, it starts to kind of be a bit of a slippery slope. So people say, hey, you know, why not give them ceftriaxone? Why not give them azithromycin? But the thing is, we do know that later on, we'll often find harm, right? So, yeah. um, you know, these things, uh, like certain innocuous drugs can, of course, they, they can become uh, toxic in certain situations. So that's why I think with us, when I first started out, this is where I have evolved. You know, I was giving hydroxychloroquine to the first uh, people um, coming in with, with COVID, right? Way, way, way back in, in March. Uh, we, of course, saw our first case before uh, Dr. Bogosh did. So that's another thing. I, I 100%. So, um, 100%. Yeah. So, but, but, you know, then, then later on, I think we took the position. I think this is the right one is to you know, try not to use things that are outside of a clinical trial. Um, and that, that's the way that I, I think just with the mess of what we've seen with all these different drugs, ivermectin, hydroxychloroquine, azithromycin. I I think it's just, you want to avoid that. And uh, that's that's the way that I've looked at it for the past uh, couple months. Yeah, no, I think that those are fair points. Definitely the slippery slope uh, you worry about. And, um, but yeah, I mean, the interesting thing too, I, I, this is not an ID talk, but it's just the thing that I still bothers me just because I got an audience is that, you know, when you see the patients at, do poorly. It's like you guys said, they have those vascular risk factors and stuff. Yeah. And I don't know, I, to me, while there's a lull, I would really love public health and, and, and health practitioners like ourselves to say like, you know what, let's do our best to get healthy. Let's, let's, uh, you know, amp up our nutrition. Let's, let's exercise. Let's, uh, let's give ourselves the best chance and um, stop smoking. Ex- exactly. Yeah. Big one. Yeah. Stop. Sm- and, you know, I think that would be, 
because because people i know behaviorally it's hard for people to do things things like that but they're scared as shit about covid people are like you know what i mean so like maybe this is the push but a great um, idea you know what i mean like just that's a I mean, great and, idea right like, like the worst you're looking and, for motivation here yeah. it is hey someone with uncontrolled diabetes really un, you know uncontrolled hypertension you know two pack a day smoker like you're in the middle of a pandemic we know these are risk factors for poor outcome what better motive we don't have a vaccine there's no real treatment for this we have no other drugs to prevent it the best <laughs> prevention is to hide inside your house and spread distance yourself from others like you know yeah. it's a matter of time you know you're sitting duck for severe infection yeah. i think that's brilliant that's brilliant jump on it right here's a yeah. great motivating tool to get people to get in shape eat well quit smoking go to their primary care provider get their blood pressure taken care of that's a great idea how do you harness that though like what do you do like how do you well, well i mean this is i mean this is a self-promotion this is a direction we're going in the show like how people could just take control of some of these things like i don't know if uh i mean another self-plug but J jason fung stuff with the intermittent fasting man like it just, when you see people like literally come off the diabetic meds by uh yeah. the, oh. the timing of when they eat like to That's me awesome. it's like it's like a, such a i can't believe we don't scale this up and promote this more um you know there's all these like to me, it's like you mentioned, eighty twenty. That's like my 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 mantra for life. Always looking at the most efficient way of like getting the biggest bang for your buck, and you know whether that's exercise. Like if you're capable, you know, middle aged guys, you know, doing some like more hit exercises, stuff that only takes you know ten minutes of your day, um, just walking. Um, but like, yeah, in terms of diet, like whether you have a low carb approach or whether you just fast, like these are things that aren't impossible. But I think it have a lot of um, uh, headway. So hopefully we could educate more people on this stuff. Um, great. Yeah, appreciate it. Um, we're going to do maybe one more question, I think. Um, okay. I think I know the answer to this, though. But I, I, had, I don't want... Those are the best ones to give on in, in this. So then we, we oh, yeah. can look like you're smart, okay. right? Okay, so this is definitely is going towards Suman. <laughs> you said you wouldn't you wouldn't attend a tool concert for the next year or two, but do you think it would be safe to attend a professional conference or trade show before vaccine is available? Yeah, so that's it's a good point. And again, like I think that um, it depends on the circumstances. You know, I think uh, Isaac's uh, kind of uh, alluded to this a number of times that you have to kind of think about the whole situation, right? And uh, you know, is it indoors? Uh, you know, what's the, the thing, the setup, like, are you in like a massive room where everything is spread out? Or are you in like a hall where everybody's talking and uh, uh, it, it's going to be funny, lots of people laughing, you know, uh, poor ventilation, old building, that type of thing. I think that it's difficult for a conference to, uh, at this point, occur just because, you know, you need a certain critical mass. And without that, you don't really have a conference. And I think that right now, mass gatherings, I think, are one of the biggest things. When you look at any of the guidelines for pandemic management, uh, mass, uh, mass gatherings are one of the last things that you take the restrictions off of. And, you know, a trade conference. Now, if it's, I have seen some outdoor trade conferences, and I think that that's a bit different. Uh, if, you, if you limit the number of people that are there and it's, it's outdoors, I think that that would be okay. But the indoor stuff, I think that uh, it's going to be a long time. It'll, it'll come back at the same time as I'm uh, rocking the tool. <laughs> Why tool? 
I love them, man. It's just all that, all that weird meter stuff and like the, the dark sound. Oh, man. While I have an audience, you have to hear the new Run the Jewel album. I know it's a oh, different. I love it. It is so. It. It's amazing. Oh, I heard it's it on amazing. the way home yesterday. Those guys are brilliant. Oh, they're, and they're middle-aged men doing hip-hop. Atlanta, these like 45-year-old sort of fat yeah. guy. Oh, it is like. Out of bounds, man. Forty-year-olds can still do things, Isaac. Okay. I, 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 are we Yeah. I, I mean, love I, I love all, off the like all run the jewel, but the, like the even the first track, they just come with it. They just come yeah. with it. I was oh, just like, oh, I literally, I was so walking good. and I stopped what I was doing, <laughs> and I just started yeah. like, I started just like bobbing my head like this. All my yeah. neighbors are like, "What, what time is it?" And I'm like, "It's game time right now, man." <laughs> RTJ all day. I was cranking that. I know I'm not the demographic, but I don't care. I was cranking that in the car on the way to work the other day. Oh, it's so good. That's a great album. Oh, yes. All day. Um, So I think think the answer for that, I think we are all in agreement. Like, yeah, when you're inside, like it's, yeah, like it's just that much more risky. I think we're not going to see, unfortunately, NHL games or NBA games anytime soon. And, um, but um, although you know, you know what, like I mean, there are the um, the toxic sorry, going audiences baseball somewhere. right now. The, the the whole thing of playing without people. In yeah. The, uh, sorry, that's what I meant. Without audience. Yeah. 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 Yeah, yeah. 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 It's a bummer. It's a total bummer. But I mean, like, I think this is necessary. And I, I'm just gonna be interested to see, you know, what. I get it. The first stage is no odd. You know, you're not gonna have any conferences. You're not gonna have any mass. Lot tons of people under one roof. Okay, that's easy. But like. Is there going to be a point in time in the pre-vaccine era where we gradually scale up? Like, can you envision, uh, you know, a Raptors game where they're going to sell one out of 10 seats, you know, or something? I'm just making up that number. And, you know, do crowd control coming in and crowd control coming out and hand sanitation stations every five seconds, you know, no crowding in the bathroom. And, you know, know, they take every, think about every little thing, like, I just wonder, like, I'm just curious. I have no idea what the answer is, but I wonder, like, what's that next? Is there a next step above playing in front of no audience to playing in front of, like, a very small audience? To, like, yeah. do they gradually build up on that, depending on – I'd yeah. love to know what's going through their mind. I think it's going to be very dependent on the league. Like, there's, like, uh, like the NFL, for example, their their revenue from from ticket sales isn't as – significant compared to NBA where they have 42 home games or, or the NHL. So I think you'll probably see a push, but it's like, um, you know, like anything else, like sometimes a level of nuance makes things a little bit uh, like it, it scares people away. But, um, but yeah. what you're describing doesn't sound unreasonable, especially as cases seem to be, you know, yeah. flattened, but uh, yeah. yeah. I don't know. I, I just, curious i have no idea what's gonna happen why you know, have to be a fan be a fan of like these uh, these non-team sports like when you watch tennis tennis is naturally socially distanced okay and you can watch nadal and federer play all day I, I, you know, I, i'll get to enjoy sports before you guys will although i'm a hockey fan too so. yeah you could you can stick with your nadal i got my yeah. david okay <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah but boys this... why edmonton i'm just you're oh, i'm from edmonton that, like... i'm from edmonton like I'm, I'm born in race. Are you serious? Oh, we're like, oh yeah, yeah. mortal enemies. Yeah. Oh my God, Battle of Alberta. Hey. Oh boy. yeah. Oh yeah. And and before the COVID, it got real too, man. Oh, I oh, loved it. It, it, it was finally it, yeah. fantastic. It's yeah. nice to have that back. Yeah, it was good. Testy games and stuff. Yeah, it's. What are your I didn't thoughts know you're on from uh, Kachuk Junior? 
Oh, he's awesome. Like, I, I, hate, I hate to, like, I mean, it's hard yeah. to be objective, but who, who wouldn't yeah. take that kid on your team? Oh, my man? God. That guy, just in front of the net, he can do oh. anything he wants. Oh, all the, all the t- Kachucks, actually. Yeah. Precious. Feisty. Feisty, for real. Listen, boys, this was, I got to tell you, this was a lot of fun. I, I feel like it was a, like a social event, but sprinkling in a little bit of knowledge and game. You know what I'm saying? I, I didn't have too much to say, but like you guys, uh, like, uh, you know, it, it was just great to hear from the experts, like, you know, what to expect in the future. Like, what, what are we really, what's COVID, like, what's our new normal going to look like? And I think people that are listening now will have that better perspective and, you know, reason for optimism that we'll have some level of normal life. But, you know, we got to have, we got to be used to living with COVID, you know, ultimately. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. but yeah, you guys were awesome. Next time. Uh, thanks next for having time, me on. Uh, it was really nice real. to meet you finally. I was, yeah, really, nice I was looking forward to this all week. This yeah, is exciting. Me too, actually. And remember, next time we'll, uh, we'll have been a on here, I have been on here two more times than him. <laughs> So it, it, it just said we, we have to maintain that uh, that difference, right? You know what? We can fix <laughs> I'm that. I'm glad we're physically distanced right now, Simon. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. Thanks so much. Take it easy. Have a good Thanks, one. Guys. You too.